The reading is taken from Revelations 21, verses 1 to 8, and is in the Church Bible 1249. A new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second God, um, death. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Gillian, very much. If I can add my own welcome to that that Adam gave earlier, particularly to any visitors here. My name's Jonathan G. I'm the vicar here. And can I apologise for the lack of temperature? I'm not personally responsible, except that in the sense the vicar's responsible for everything. Uh, but I do apologise that the heating is down. And if you need to go and get your coat or go and run around and do some star jumps in the middle or something like that, uh, I will fully understand. I'll assume it's because you're cold and not for any other reason. Uh, let's pray that the Lord will come and speak to us and do some divine body warming at the same time. Lord Jesus, we praise you that one day you will return and all will be renewed. And we look forward to that great day. And as we think about it now, send your spirit on us and speak to our minds that we would understand as much as we can. Speak to the innermost part of our being and set us looking forward to that great day. We pray you'd take what I've prepared and breathe your life into it and speak through it. And we dare to pray for a bit of divine heating in our bodies as well, that we'd be able to concentrate on what you want to say to us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I love Advent Sunday. I love Advent. It's just when the whole Christmas thing is gearing up. Uh, Advent is a reminder to look up and beyond. Last Sunday was the Feast of Christ the King and we looked up to Jesus reigning. Advent Sunday looks forward to when Jesus will return. And in the midst of all the chaos of the Christmas season, it is so good to look up and lift our eyes and to look forward. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews, Hebrews 11.1, 1, basically defines faith as looking up and looking forward. Faith is confidence of what we hope for. That's the looking forward. Assurance about what we don't see. That's the looking up. Uh, and that's what we're doing today, to lift our eyes to Jesus reigning and the fact that he will come again in glory. Uh, I find that 
Advent is not well understood. When I did more primary school assemblies than I do now, I'd go and do an Advent assembly. I'd ask the children, what does Advent mean? And the host of hands will go up before anybody's actually thought. And then they'll think calendars or Christmas, or some of them are thinking of those uh, posh Advent calendars, chocolate, and they say it's chocolate. Uh, and eventually you get out of someone uh, that Advent means coming. Best answer ever heard was Advent. Is that like adventure? That's, that's brilliant. That is, this is the great adventure. Uh, Jesus will come again. But I'd ask them, who is coming? And you'd get Grandpa or Santa. And you said, no, Advent looks forward to the time when Jesus will come again. Christmas looks back to his first coming. Advent looks forward to the time when he will return. Uh, and when he comes, he will make all things new. Now, I've learned a new Greek word, which I've been chasing around this week in my head. Uh, last week, if you were here, you heard my favourite Greek word of all, which every time I preach on money or giving, I bring out. Uh, that is the word hilarion, from which we get the word hilarious, or cheerful, or joyful. God loves a cheerful giver. And thank you very much to everybody who's been renewing their giving, their standing orders, their pledges. Uh, if you haven't done that yet, there's a little memory jog to do so this week. We invite the whole church uh, on Commitment Sunday to consider how we give so we can pay our bills and honour the Lord with our money. Uh, that word is well known because I preach it every year, the word hilarion. This word is not so well known. Uh, it's the word palingonesia, and I don't expect anybody to remember that. But I'll tell you what the translation means. Can we put up Matthew 19, 28 and 29? Jesus is talking with his disciples, and they've said that they've left all sorts of things for him. What's in it for them? <laughs> Jesus says, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things. That is the translation of this strange word that I don't expect you to remember. The renewal of all things. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who's left houses or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Jesus is saying that a great day will come when everything will be renewed. Could we just put up that first verse, Matthew 19, 28 again? Look at that phrase, at the renewal of all things. That is trying to translate this strange Greek word, palin genesia. Palin means again. Genesia or ge is the word genesis. So we know genesis, the first book of the Bible, it's about beginnings, creation. And different Bible translations translate this in different ways. The recreation of the world, when the world is made new. I like the NIVs, at the renewal of all things. I was dusting off some Greek commentaries to try and say, well, how is this used? You don't get it many times in Scripture. But it has the sense of a restoration of everything to how it ought to be. And Jesus has this, just in conversation with his disciples, he has this great phrase, at the renewal of all things. It's a wonderful phrase. And at Advent Sunday, we look forward to the time when Jesus will return and everything will be renewed. Uh, there is so much that's awful in the world. The news is full of it every day. There's evil and suffering. There's pain. There's terrible, awful things like human trafficking and wars. But a day is coming when Jesus will return, when everything will be renewed and restored to how it ought to be. And I've been chasing through different parts of the scriptures, not the uh, most obvious ones that often preach on an Advent, for hints of this. 
Uh, You get it in Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 3. This is early on after the day of Pentecost. The uh, crippled man by the beautiful gate has been healed. Uh, A crowd's gathered. Peter's preaching. And towards the end of his sermon, he says this. This is Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's what will happen now. And that he may send the Messiah who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. It's the same idea. Jesus talked about the renewal of all things. Peter talks about the time when God will restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets of old. Isn't that wonderful? That's what I want to Uh, us to register, that's my prayer for the church, that we will have a deep sense within us that a day is coming when God will restore what's been damaged, what's been broken, what's been lost. It will be renewed. He's at work in us and a day will come when the whole creation is restored and renewed and so are we. And the New Testament continually tells us to look forward to that great day. There's over 300 references to Jesus coming again in the New Testament. That's practically one on every page. There are some wonderful passages like St. Paul in Romans 8. Let me read to you some of this. Paul says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, some of us suffer relatively little, and we think, of course. But there are some folks who suffer truly terribly, and St. Paul suffered pretty terribly. But compared to the glory that's coming, he said, that is almost insignificant. The creation is waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Isn't that wonderful? We know that creation is decaying. We know all around us there's things that are wrong. It's caught up with our rebellion against God and one day a day is coming when we will be restored and creation will be restored. And we're longing for that. In Romans 8, Paul says this, verse 22, we know the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And then he says, this is, this is our hope, in this hope we're saved. Hope that's seen is no hope at all. Who hopes what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And the New Testament tells us, as the followers of Jesus, to look forward, to set our hope on that great day when he will come again and everything will be renewed and everything will be restored. Peter said, as this was promised by the holy prophets of old. Let me give you a couple of examples of that from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17 and 18 says this. See, says God, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. Or a couple of chapters earlier, Isaiah 60, 19 and 20. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light. Your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again. Your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light. There's this wonderful painting a picture of a new heavens and a new earth that's utterly glorious. And those are the themes that are picked up at the end of Revelation that Gillian read for us. 
Let's look again just at Revelation 21, 1 to 5. When we get this new heaven and new earth. St. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That is a wonderful, wonderful promise for the future. The world is spoiled, we are spoiled. And when Jesus returns, everything will be renewed. All things will be renewed, as Jesus said, at the renewal of all things. As Peter said, when God restores everything, the whole heaven and earth will be recreated. And that is our big hope. It's not that we escape this world up to some sort of spiritual heaven and live there forever. That, just, that doesn't sound uh, as good as we think it ought to be. The hope is that actually heaven comes down to earth. God comes to dwell on a newly created, recreated heaven and earth. With all that is wonderful about this world made better and all that spoils it is gone. The whole idea is that God will do for all creation and for us what he did for Jesus at the resurrection. His body was recognizably Jesus. But it was a whole new quality altogether. He could still eat and laugh and drink, but he seemed to be able to go through walls and things like that. It was a, we can't get our heads around this. And when we try to, it's very difficult. And St. Paul acknowledges that we, we don't really see it yet. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, he says this. We've got 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 there. We've lost it. Oh, there we go. Uh, however, it's, as it's written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We can't, our minds cannot conceive it. It will be wonderful. But God reveals these things to us by his spirit. We can't quite picture what it will be like, but it will be more marvellous than anything you can think. Or St. John in his old age, 1 John wrote chapter 3, 2 and 3, Dear friends, now we're children of God. What we will be has not yet been made known, but we do know that when Christ appears, we will be like him and we'll see him as he is. All who have this hope in them purify themselves. This is a hope that is to live in us and fire us. And it's the people who've had the most hope of eternal life who've made the most difference to this world. People who get bogged down in this world don't make enough difference. The Christians down the years who've thought most of heaven have been the ones who've done the most for this world. We sit light. We're not bogged down in the here and now. We have our inner hope looking forward to when Jesus will return and all will be restored and renewed. Now, it's, uh, I find it hard to get my mind around this. And the times in my life when I've most, I think, got a picture of what this is like is from reading C.S. Lewis as a child reading the Narnia stories. As an adult, I read the book The Great Divorce. It's a terrible title. I wish you'd called it something else. It's about the divorce between heaven and hell. Hell is almost insignificant compared to the glory of the new heaven and the new earth. And it is a brilliant picture of how the new heaven and new earth can be more real than what we have now. 
But I had the same stirrings in reading the Narnia stories as a boy. Or you get it in reading some of the Lord of the Rings uh, when everything's restored at the end. I want to read you a few examples of that. Um, I've been reading a rather good book by John Eldridge called All Things New, which picks up on this phrase of Jesus, at the renewal of all things. Uh, and he, he quotes from some of my favourite things. Uh, one of them is uh, a great quote from Sam, Frodo's companion, uh, at the end of Lord of the Rings. I rather like this. When everything is restored, when the evil has passed, when they're safe again. Uh, and he's coming round and Gandalf appears. He thought Gandalf had died. And Sam Ganji says this. Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? The answer is yes, it is. What's happened to the world, he says. Gandalf says, a great shadow has departed. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he hadn't heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment, for days upon days without count. It fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he'd ever known. Now, when I read The Lord of the Rings as a boy, I found that stirring in me, and it does whenever I reread it. Uh, and the Narnia stories. If you've never read all seven of the Narnia stories, read them, buy them, give them to each other for Christmas. Give them to your children, give them to your grandchildren, read them to each other. They are fantastic pictures of Christian truth. Aslan, the Christ figure, who gave his life for the children and was brought back to life. The last battle when the world comes to an end and all is renewed and lots of other sort of parables. Uh, read them and ask God to open your eyes. But the pictures C.S. Lewis paints, paint something of how a new heaven and new earth can be more wonderful, uh, more restored than anything we could possibly imagine. Uh, let me read to you a couple of examples. This is from the last battle. So this is after uh, the old Narnia is destroyed and there's a whole new recreated world that the children and the animals are enjoying. Uh, where have we got to? Let's try and find the right page in here. I've lost the page. Look, hold on, we'll get it there. It's the trouble with preaching more than once on the same day is you forget where you've got to. Here we go. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I've come home at last. This is my real country. This is where I belong. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I didn't know it till now. The reason I love the old Narnia is it sometimes looked a little like this. Come on further up, further in. He shook his mane and sprang forward into a great gallop, a unicorn's gallop, which in our world would have carried him out of sight in a few moments. But now a strange thing happened. Everyone else began to run, and they found to their astonishment they could keep up with him. The air flew in their faces as if they were driving fast in a car without a windscreen. The country flew past as if they were seeing it from the windows of a train. Faster and faster they ran, but no one got hot or tired or out of breath. If one could run without getting tired, I don't think one would want to do anything else. So they ran faster and faster till it was more like flying than running. And even the eagle overhead was going no faster than they were. And they went through winding valley after winding valley and up the steep sides of hills and down the other sides and following the river and sometimes crossing it and skimming over mountain lakes as if they were living speedboats. It's fantastic picture language. 
And God has put a childlikeness in us. We're not to be childish, but there is a childlikeness. And there's something of this picture language that speaks to the bitterness that God has made for all eternity. It's a wonderful, wonderful picture. Creation will be renewed and we will be renewed. Uh, death will be a thing of the past. We will be resurrected. What's that going to be like? Well, there's a lovely picture of this in C.S. Lewis's book, The Silver Chair. Um, some of you know the story. Uh, from the Prince Caspian was one of the... In the silver chair, Prince Caspian is now old King Caspian. And he dies. Eustace and Jill are the children who go. And at the end of the book, they wind up in Aslan's country. Uh, and they can still hear the funeral music from King Caspian. And there they are with Aslan, the great lion, the Christ figure. They were walking beside the stream and the lion went before them. And he became so beautiful and the music so despairing that Jill didn't know which of them it was that filled her eyes with tears. Then Aslan stopped and the children looked into the stream. And there on the golden gravel of the bed of the stream lay King Caspian, dead, with the water flowing over him like liquid glass. His long white beard swayed in it like waterweed. And all three stood and wept, even the lion wept, great lion tears, each tear more precious than the earth would be if it was a single diamond. Son of Adam, said Aslan, go into the thicket and pluck the thorn you will find there and bring it to me. Eustace obeyed. The thorn was a foot long and sharp as a rapier. Drive it into my paw, son of Adam, said Aslan, holding up his right forepaw and spreading out the great pad towards Eustace. Must I, said Eustace. Yes, said Aslan. Then Eustace set his teeth and drove the thorn into the lion's pad. And there came out a great drop of blood, redder than all the redness you've ever seen or imagined. And it splashed into the stream over the dead body of the king. At that same moment, the doleful music stopped and the king began to change. His white beard turned to grey and from grey to yellow and it got shorter and vanished altogether and his sunken cheeks grew round and fresh and the wrinkles were smoothed and his eyes opened and his eyes and lips both laughed and suddenly he leapt up and stood before them, a young man, and rushed to Aslan and flung his arms as far as they would go round the huge neck and he gave Aslan the strong kisses of a king and Aslan gave him the wild kisses of a lion. It's a fantastic picture of being restored to life. Those who've gone on before us are restored to life. And it's hard to get our heads around that. Uh, Eustace certainly struggled. And this, let's carry on with the story. A last Caspian turned to the others. He gave a great laugh of astonished joy. Why, Eustace, he said. So you did reach the end of the world after all. Eustace made a step towards him with both hands held out, but then drew back into a somewhat startled expression. Look here, I say, he stammered. It's all very well, but aren't you, I mean, didn't you? Oh, don't be such an ass, said Caspian. But, said Eustace, looking at Aslan, hasn't he uh, died? Yes, said the lion in a quiet voice, although almost as if he was laughing. He has died. Most people have, you know. Even I have. There are very few who haven't. When you think of all the saints down the years who've gone on before us, they've all died. And they're there in Aslan's great country. And at that turn will come to us, unless we're fortunate enough to be here when Jesus returns. We will die. But all the pain and brokenness that we've carried and fought with will be gloriously restored. It is the renewal of all things, the restoration of everything. 
as Sam in The Lord of the Rings said, is everything sad going to come untrue? Yes, it is. So when will this be? Well, it will be when Jesus returns. As I said, over 300 references in the New Testament. And it is normal Christianity to look forward to this day eagerly. I think in the West, in our comfortable modern era, we focus on the comforts of this era and we've stopped looking forward to that great day. But biblical Christianity has an eagerly desiring, looking forward to praying for that day. Uh, here's a few examples. 1 Peter 1.13. Peter writes to Christians saying, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Set your hopes there. Yes, have a good Christmas with your family and friends. Don't set your hopes on the fact that Christmas will be perfect. It won't be. There will still be family arguments and all the rest of it. It happens. Make it as good as you can be, great, but it's not the ultimate hope. Look ahead to when Jesus comes. Set your hope there. That's when it will be perfect. 1 Corinthians 1.7 Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus. I've been quite challenged for this. I've been waiting for Lord Jesus. I'd love it if he'd come back today. That'd be marvellous. But eagerly wait. That's where we're to set our hope. Philippians 3 verse 20, the same idea. Our citizenship's in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. When will that happen? When will Jesus return? Well, we don't know. And anybody who says they do know is probably wrong. Do you remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, we won't know. Jesus had the disciples around him. He's explaining everything. He's risen from the dead. He's not yet ascended. They're getting the idea of the renewal of all things, the restoration of the great kingdom. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his authority. You won't know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We have a job to do of bearing witness to the fact that Jesus is risen and one day the whole earth will be restored and everybody can be part of that if they choose. Sadly, of course, they won't all choose and some will, be, uh, some will exclude themselves from that great kingdom. After Jesus told them this, we read in Acts 1, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go. He will come back, but we don't know when. So we're to live ready. Jesus said this, for example, Matthew 24, 44. Jesus said, you must be ready. The Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. We're to live eagerly desiring that. Now, the early Christians, as they started to die, were wondering, well, what happens to those who've died before Jesus returns? And now there's been 2,000 years of Christians who've died. As Aslan said to Eustace, most people have, you know. St. Paul writes this, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For the Christian who dies, it's described in the New Testament as sleep. We're caught up in the worship of heaven with the angels in heaven. 
But that's not our ultimate destination. It's as it were sleeping there until Jesus returns and the whole of creation is renewed and restored. Uh, verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 4. We believe that Jesus died and rose again and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. So when the Lord returns, so every Christian that's gone before us will return too. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the ever. And we'll be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That doesn't mean that we stay up in the clouds with them forever on some sort of cloud playing harps. Or no, the whole earth and heaven are going to be renewed as we've already seen. And then the dwelling place of God is on the new earth with everybody who's already gone before, ultimately restored at the renewal of all things. It is a wonderful, wonderful hope to look forward to. At the same time, when Jesus returns, we know there will be a judgment and not everybody will be included. Uh, the reading at the end of Revelation 21 that Gillian read for us, uh, these verses. I so wanted to stop the reading at the end of verse 5. I'm making everything new. But the scriptures don't let us do that. He said to me, it is done. This is verse 6 of Revelation 21. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. That is the good news. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. That fire has been prepared for the devil and his angels and it's a tragedy that any human beings will wind up in it. But if people insist on living lives of sin and ignoring God and what Jesus has done, that's where they will be. None of us deserves to be in the new creation. We are here today because we know that Jesus has paid the price for our sins and we are forgiven. And, he's, and that's the start of the process of restoration when he returns and all will be made new. But we have a job to do. That's why Christianity is a missionary religion. We have good news to tell to people. Good news to tell. Uh, the Lord hasn't returned yet, we gather, because he wants more to come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, if we can put that one up. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends, says Peter. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. I think that includes most of us. Two thousand years feels like slow. But for the Lord, it's just a couple of days since the resurrection. A day is like a thousand years. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Those of you who've come to faith recently, thank the Lord he didn't come back a few years ago. You may have missed out. We are charged with telling good news to our world. That's why as a church we're deliberately setting our stall out to be missional disciples. Not just rejoicing what he's done for us, but trying to share that good news more effectively uh, until the great day comes when Jesus comes back. When will that be? Well, we don't know. We know it's coming. 
The New Testament uses pictures of like when a baby's going to be born. You know it's coming, but you don't know exactly when. Uh, or a picture of like a thief in the night. If you knew exactly when, you wouldn't have let the thief in, but it's, it comes as a surprise. I love Tony Campolo's, what he said. Uh, someone asked him, when will it be? He said, I'm not on the planning committee, I'm on the welcoming committee. We don't, we don't know when it will be. But we're to be living lives ready to welcome Jesus when he comes. So there's lots in the New Testament about what that means. Jesus taught the parables of the wise and foolish bridesmaids and the talents and the sheep and the goats. We are to be ready like the wise bridesmaids with our lamps full of oil. Did you used to sing at primary school, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning? I'm not sure they still sing that one. It's a shame, really. I mean, I mean, it could use updating. But the, the idea is that we're filled with God's Holy Spirit, the oil of his spirit, and our lamps burn brightly as we look forward to that great day. The parable of talents, we use the talents Jesus has given us. We don't bury them. We use them in his service, ready for when he returns. The sheep and the goats, we care for those in need as if they were Jesus, especially Jesus said, the least of these, my brothers and sisters, those who are our Christian brothers and sisters, we must care for them above all, but also for others too. We're told to store up treasure in heaven, not to hoard it here. We can't keep it anyway. We leave it behind when we go, but we can send it on ahead, as it were. We're told to encourage one another. And these verses to eagerly look forward. And that's what we're going to pray for each other now that God would send his spirit on us and put within us an eager desire, this hope, when everything will be renewed. Uh, whether or not you remember that strange word, palingenesia, a, a new creation, the renewal of all things, I pray that this will live in you, where a hope for the restoration of all things. Read your Revelation at the end, 21 and 22. Read your C.S. Lewis, read Narnia. That'd be a fantastic thing. They're, they're quite short, they're, they don't take very long. But there's all this wonderful picture language of when things will be restored. So let's stand and we'll pray together and perhaps the band would come back ready to lead us in a final song. Lord Jesus, we bow before you. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We praise you that you are risen from the dead and ascended and glorified and that one day you will return as sure as the resurrection. We praise you and we look forward to that day. And we pray that you would send your spirit on us and write these truths on our hearts. Lord, all of us have damage and areas of brokenness. And we thank you that when you return, all of that will be restored and we will be made new, perfect. We acknowledge before you the brokenness of the world. And we thank you that one day the world will be made new. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. We pray you would so fire us with that great truth and set us looking forward to it that we do make a genuine difference to the world around us. Help us to live differently, to sit light to the things the world gets so excited about and to look forward to this great new creation. Fire our hearts, we pray. And even in the stillness, come Holy Spirit and minister to us. Let's take a minute of quiet and acknowledge before the Lord your own thoughts about what's been lost and what needs to be renewed
cry out to the Lord for friends and family to come to know him. Praise you, Lord, for those we've known and loved who've gone on ahead of us, who, like King Caspian, as it were, are restored and with you in the great heavenly sleep at the moment. Praise you that one day when Jesus returns, we will be with them in the new creation. Praise you that in the light of eternity, the suffering and difficulty of now will seem small. Give grace to those who suffer the most, we pray. To look up and look forward and keep trusting you. And as we sing about this hope you've put in us now, write these truths on our hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' great name. Amen. We're going to sing, in Christ alone our hope is found.